so here we have an episode <laughs> that I, I don't like. I'm just going to go ahead and be honest about that. It's not Lamentation territory, but by God, is it trying. <laughs> they had always intended, I actually have commented on this before, they always intended for there to be a romance for Odo back when he was human. In fact, they introduced a character who was going to be his romance interest, the, uh, the Bajoran woman that I pointed out. And then they're like, okay, he's cured. But they never really let go of that idea. And near as I can tell, and this is just juxtaposition, but near as I can tell, the, the story idea and the script had already been worked on enough that it just kind of stumbled into being made into an episode, even though he was a changeling now, and this didn't fit at all. And that's my very first comment. The first... The entirety of the teaser, well, the entirety of the teaser that involves Odo doesn't work for me at all. Well, that's that's still not true. Odo doesn't work for me at all in the intro. There we go. Let's, let's define that very specifically because he's acting... Well, I don't buy it, basically. You ever see a thing where someone writes for a character in an ongoing series and you're like... Why are they acting so weirdly? It's like this was written for someone who was a couple seasons ago, before he'd had, or she'd had the character growth leading to this point, right? You probably know what I'm talking about. You probably can think of several examples of that off the top of your head. That's how Odo feels in this episode. He feels like this was several seasons ago. We're at season five at this point. I've actually been pointing out as we go through these ruminations every time that Odo has been growing and learning and becoming more socially active and more comfortable with himself and more comfortable around others. And this has been a growing arc, a continuous arc. It is Odo's, one of his main arc. I would argue it is his main arc, even though everyone else would probably tell you it's you know the arc about his people. But this, his willingness to become part of the social group, to accept friends, to accept family, has, in my opinion, been his dominant arc throughout the last five seasons. And then all of a sudden he just kind of reverts a bunch in this episode. I know I'm being a little bit unfair, but it really does feel like this episode, this this just was written by someone who doesn't quite know Odo. And that's funny because this was written by Rene Echeverria, who definitely knows Odo. So I don't know what the hell was going on here. <sighs> now, that being said, um, I do have to mention one other funny thing. This episode was actually written with the intent, this is from interviews of the creators here, to express to the audience and to, to explain that, yeah, Odo's over Kira. That's gone. That's torpedoed. Huh. <laughs> so, let's talk about the teaser proper here. Uh, there's actually a decent bit where the guy's like, look what you did to the carpet. God, you had to murder the guy, really? Honestly? <laughs> He's just so banal about, about killing people, which is good. That was a good thing. That being said, what is wrong with this station? Several times over the last, like, two years I've been doing these ruminations, I've pointed out something where it's like, why don't they have XY security feature on Deep Space Nine? Now, usually, uh, the answer is basically because it's a Cardassian station. And sometimes that does make sense. You know, there are plenty of times where it makes sense that they wouldn't have the features that, you know, the Enterprise-D has, for example. But I would imagine that a Cardassian station, which regularly has Bajoran well, Bajorans on board, an enslaved race on board, would have something to detect weapons fire, which is something we definitely know exists on a starship, so that's not like me just making up something. So some guy un shoots someone with a shot to kill, by the way, and nobody notices that. I mean, I hate to point this out, but Star Trek VI demonstrated that 70 years ago they had the ability to detect a, a phaser blast set to kill immediately, Right? 
So, huh? In fact, point in fact, it takes them 11 minutes into the episode to find this body at all, and only because they are specifically seeking him out. <sighs> Anyways, as a quick aside, they wanted to have a, a, a singer built onto this episode. Like, like they, they couldn't get Frank Sinatra Jr., obviously, because this is Deep Space Nine, but they wanted to get someone on board to do, like, a nightclub singing sort of a thing. And there were a couple scenes that were written to that effect. They didn't actually make it into the final draft. But I only mentioned that because almost immediately after that, Bashir mentions that he's got the newest uh, Holosuite program for his Bond thing, right? Dr. Bashir, or Mr. Julie Bashir, or whatever. And A, you'll notice how they are going way out of their way to avoid the Bond parallels this time because MGM is MGM. And B, he actually specifically name drops Felix as the person who crafted the program. Now, I'm pretty sure that's basically a, another example of adaptive storytelling, you know, back-ended storytelling, because, well, let's just say Felix will come up in the future, but I just thought it was interesting, because I don't think I ever caught that before, that this is the first name drop of Felix. Anyways, at least I think it's the first, first time I've noticed it. Uh, I do like the scene between the friends and not Odo, because each of them sounds like they're actually interested in portraying a role in this new Hollow Suite. you know, like the role has been basically crafted for them. That sounds awesome to me, and I hate to gush about something that literally lasts like two minutes of screen time, but I don't have much else to say about this episode because this episode kind of sucks in my opinion. So in all, in total sincerity, that idea is more engaging than most of the other ideas this episode proposits. Imagine for a moment if you and your friends could get together and enact a story that was written for you guys, like, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to write such and such, you know, Bob over there, he's going to be this character, and Bobina, she's going to be this character, and Bobarella, she's going to be this character, you know, and just designing this whole thing specifically for you guys to go play through and enjoy. That sounds awesome. Um, and now, that, that kind of thing leads itself more towards the railroaded storytelling, but there's nothing wrong with a railroaded video game, right? I mean, we still play Final Fantasies, right? So it doesn't have to be an open-world, choose-your-own-adventure kind of a thing. Although, of course, that also sounds kind of awesome. But I, I just wanted to gush about that idea briefly, because it just it snapped my attention. I won't, I won't keep going. I'm sorry. I, I hate, to, hate to be positive. Um, <laughs> I've had a really bad day. <laughs> I hate... Uh, I, I'll just move on. I'll just move on. And then Odo just like, nope, I'm out. Now, at first, I was really confused by that. It's like Odo likes hanging out with his friends at this point. Like I said, you know, character arc. It, it, it didn't occur to me until several minutes later that he was specifically awkward because his role was the guy who was going to rescue the girl. And that's what made him awkward. It was like, oh, no, romance. Okay. I can... No, I, I can't buy it. I can't buy it. I'm sorry. It's stupid. Whatever. Um, so then he goes and he sees What's-Her-Face... And I'm going to call her that because, obviously, it's not her name. <laughs> and she, there's actually, she's pretty good. Uh, that is Day Young, once again. Uh, I say once again because I relatively recently have covered the episode The Masterpiece Society, which she was also on, and she did a good job as the engineer lady over there, uh, as Hannah Bates. I wrote it down. She does a good job there in Masterpiece Society. She does a good job here, too. She'll actually show up again in another role in a pretty bad episode, but nevertheless in... Uh, the Enterprise episode. I forget the name of it, but it's the one where the Enterprise goes to Ryza. She's a good, she's a good voice, she's a good actor. Uh, she helps elevate this episode beyond lamentation status because this could have been drag. Now, 
they, of course, there's actually some legitimately good chemistry between the two initially. And I mean that sincerely. She is just, like, used to people hitting on her because she's hot. Apparently that's her character trait is that she's hot. I'm kidding, of course, because the point is that's not her character trait. She is actually very observant, very intelligent, very sharp. As any good infiltrator, spy, you know, security agent or whatever you want to call her should be. It is, of course, natural then that someone like Odo would interact with her and be like, huh. And thus both of them would be sufficiently observant and intelligent to remark on each other's actual features rather than their surface features. And that's the one and only good thing the two characters have going together, in my blunt opinion, because the rest of it doesn't work for me at all. And not just because it's a romance of the week, although this is probably the most blatant romance of the week I've seen to date, right up there with Wesley and the shapeshifter girl, (laughs) because it's just... (laughs) Oh yeah, by the way, I'm married... That's, that's how they cut this one off. Because it's like they couldn't think of any other way to make it so that they couldn't be together. So instead, just, oh yeah, by the way, I'm married. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> so, let's never talk about this again. <sighs> so Odo, so I buy that. I like that interaction. And then he turns into super awkward mode again. And I, I stop buying it. Then Kira has a scene. Now Kira comes, uh, Kira meets him and says... Oh, it sounds like she's very perceptive. You should go see her again. And basically just kind of quietly encourages him to. That's good. And I do like that. In fact, I mentioned earlier that the Odo stuff I don't buy. The best parts of this episode for me are the interactions between Odo and everyone who isn't Alyssa. Seriously. There's a really good scene later on where he knocks on a, on the window of a moving car. I love holodecks. And he's like, excuse me, Dr. Bashir, I need to... Oh, yes, yes, driver, driver, pull over, please. Okay, okay. And he just kind of slips in. And it's funny that Bashir is effectively giving romance advice to Odo. But at the same time, the way he says it and the way he plays it is extremely natural and extremely... The word I want to use is loving. It's because, again, this is what I've been talking about. Odo has become embraced by this friendship and this community of these people, you know, the Star Trek ideal. He's gotten to the point now where these people really do care about him and really do want some some happiness and joy in his life. There's a reason why later on on Ops, Worf, Kira, Sisko, and Dax are all effectively gossiping about Odo's love life. Not because it's like the latest morsel, although Dax might be doing it for that reason, let's just be honest, but because they care about him and they want this to work out for him. They want him to have this nugget of happiness. I like that. There's a lot of genuineness in the way they all portray that, and that's awesome. That's that's the good part of the episode right there, and that's really what helps salvage it for me. Because the stuff between him and her... So, I have one, two, three notes about him and her. Three in the whole episode. I just had nothing to say. So much of it is so by the numbers that I didn't find anything to comment on. And that's always the worst thing as a ruminator, by the way. Like I know, I know, first world problems or whatever, but it's just the most frustrating thing when I go through an entire 40-minute episode and I'm just I'm staring at a half-empty page, like, because I have nothing to talk about. That's always my rule. I talk until I have nothing left to talk about. That's why I don't really decide on a duration for my videos. And I've also tried to get very much better about not rambling about unrelated topics like I am right now on, on these videos about trying to be far more concise, speaking with a better clip, having better pacing and tone, etc. Trying to do the best job I can to try and 
basically give you guys the same amount of discussion information in a smaller period of time, while still being me, because obviously I'm not going to just start micro-machining my way through these. But then I reach an episode like this, and it's like, and I just wanted to vent for it, because like I said, today's just kind of been crap. I do apologize for getting real for a second here, but today has really been a crap day, and I just needed to vent about this for a second, because then I had to cover this episode, and it's like, oh, really? <sighs> Thank you for listening. <laughs> If I'm not mistaken, this is the final episode of 20, uh, 2019, too, so this should be fun. Anyways, the three notes. First of all, she constantly plays him. It's actually kind of irritating how obvious she is about it. I am a little bit insulted that Odo so effortlessly gets played by this woman, especially since, A, that's been attempted before by other women, and B, you'd think he'd notice. I know, I know. Love makes people do weird things, and that, that is a valid statement, but it's also worth noting, if I just if I feel like nitpicking this, which I do because I don't like this episode, the usual reason why love makes people do weird things is not a more intangible, emotional kind of a thing, but actually a literal chemical reaction kind of a thing, which Odo doesn't have. So she constantly pushes him on this. Now, that being said, I do like one thing about it, because I don't like to just constantly nag about it, and that's the fact that he has shifted from being lawful neutral to lawful good. Someone who cares about the rule of law and basically nothing else is you know, another of Odo's character arcs, and he has effectively gotten to the point now where circumstances matter. Because a lawful neutral person, in general, does not care about circumstances. They care about the law. They care about things being done orderly and correctly and in accordance with whatever they believe to be right. Um, not morally right. I shouldn't say right. That's actually the wrong word. Correct. This is how things should happen. Um, a lawful good person is similar, but they also have the morality tacked on top of that, right? So they look at this like, well, okay, you have violated the law. You did break and enter, but your reasons for doing so are something I would consider acceptable, so I'm going to go ahead and let this go and try to work with you on this matter instead of try to you know, toss you into a prison or whatever, which is a nice touch. The second note I have, which is actually not related to her at all, is the Orion Syndicate. Funnily enough, I did a little looking into this. I couldn't find any information on the creation of the Orion Syndicate from a real-life perspective. But if you think about it, the last time, or excuse me, the first time the Orion Syndicate is ever really mentioned, really, is in The Ascent, which wasn't actually all that long ago, in this season. And then we have this mention, and then it'll come up later in Deep Space Nine a couple more times. And then it'll be brought up in Enterprise. And that's kind of it. It's just weird because it feels like they wanted to add a major criminal organization that could be perceived on a galactic scale, and this is what they went with. It works effectively. I've, you know, there's always that horrible terrifyingness of the Orion Syndicate. They're they are everywhere. They infiltrate everywhere. They they will kill you if you try to leave, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And they do keep their the the the, the canon, the continuity of the Orion Syndicate, uh, cohesive. So that's good. What I find most interesting, though is that it also feels like the Orion Syndicate was basically a deliberate attempt to try and darkier Star Trek a little bit more. And I do say that very specifically. Because don't mistake me, a criminal organization that's just kind of there, okay, yeah, I'm with that. But I do feel like they try to push the envelope as far as they possibly can, and given that this is both Ronald D. Moore and Iris Stephen Baird, who are both known envelope pushers, I think that's what's actually happening here. You'll notice they make a mention of her being a net girl. They go just far enough to, to not actually explain what that means, but anybody who has a brain can immediately understand what a net girl is based on the way she describes it. And that's goddamn horrifying. The mere fact that that kind of a thing exists within this setting as an aggregate, never mind within, you know, some place that we've actually interacted with, is just kind of like, whoa, okay. <laughs> and again, 
envelope pushing. I'm not, I'm not making any commentary here whether I like or dislike this. I just thought I'd comment on that because, again, I couldn't find any significant interviews or information on the making of the Orion Syndicate from a real-life perspective. So that's my, that's my theory, is they wanted to add a darkier element to Star Trek, which also had some dark elements to it, and that's what they came up with was the Orion Syndicate. So then they have the super brief Bond reference. I already mentioned that, the MGM thing. Uh, O'Brien... <laughs> Yeah, shouldn't stop for hitchhikers. I don't want to play Falco, but you're so good at playing the bad guy. Now, I don't know if this is true, but I think that's an in-reference. Those of you not aware, the gentleman who plays uh, O'Brien usually plays villains, and he's really good at it. It's it's so weird, because he plays such an incredibly likable person in O'Brien. I, I, I think that was a reference. Just moving on. Um, So then we get to the Data Crystal thing. Woo! Oh, it's her. That is her, basically. That's her memories and personality and all that fun stuff. Nice way to put that. It is funny that the final threat of the episode isn't really the two thug guys we've seen throughout the episode, but her. She is the one who is willing to do this in order to get this off her head, and of course she, it's like, ha-ha, you know. <laughs> do the thugs know what's on the crystal? I have a feeling they don't, because they, they come across as not super competent and definitely not the kind of people that a crime boss would actually put in the no. <laughs> um, regardless, <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, hang on. Hi, sis. Hi. <laughs> I just suddenly hear this crinkling, and I'm like, what if I hear... <laughs> you should leave this part in. Okay, okay. Okay, bye. Hi. Um... <laughs> My sister was like tiptoeing past to not interrupt the recording. I was trying to be very quiet. She was succeeding. She was doing a good job. Oh, I needed that. Today's been such a crap day. Um, okay. So, Rosai, the Obsidian Order has actually already used this exact same uh, infiltrator method that she ends up using. Basically, you do a mind wipe of the person so that they don't know they're a double agent, and then you leave something in to help recall them later to procure information. It's actually a really smart thing. It's one of the few things that makes a whole lot of sense within the confines of the level of tech we have within this setting. And ha literally storing those memories externally means there's nothing to dig up or dredge up or whatever, unlike the Obsidian Order, which also makes sense if the person regularly employs telepaths, which, again, I applaud for making sense because telepaths are a thing in this setting. Um, then Odo beats up a bunch of bad guys. You know, he can do the Vulcan nerve grip. We've seen that, like, the whole season ago. Anyway, so there's an action sequence, and then, oh my god, the truth, and then, oh my gosh, I'm married, the end. And that's all I got. I found this to be a very drab and disinteresting episode, aside from a few nuggets of, of intrigue, like the Orion Syndicate and the whole uh, holodeck thing. I do apologize. <laughs> At least I got a laugh out of it. I, I hope you've enjoyed, guys. Happy New Year. I'll see you next time.